Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Anika Talks podcast. I'm so excited that you've decided to tune in for this week's episode, and I hope that you're having an absolutely wonderful week. I want to start off by apologizing for being MIA last week. I know I was supposed to put on an episode on Saturday, and that episode never came about, and that was mostly because I had planned to do an episode on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I had a special guest star planned, and we were going to make this really great episode. I was absolutely thrilled out of my mind for this episode, but then my special guest's work schedule wasn't conducive for recording an episode, so we never got around to it last week. And this week again, their work schedule was so insane that we weren't even able to sit down and record the episode together. So I decided instead we're going to split the MCU episodes up into two. Instead of just having an episode on the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Marvel in general, I think I'm going to do an episode about the Marvel television universe? Marvel televised universe? Whatever that is. And then I'm going to do another episode on the Cinematic Universe with my special guest star. So let's get into the weekly catch-up. I've been doing nothing. There's not even much to tell you guys. I think I've been so busy with school and work that I just have not had time to exist as a normal human being. I have not had time to read or watch anything or literally do anything besides work, school, and play night tennis until 1 in the morning and then and sleep and literally do nothing else. So that's my exciting life update. But if we're talking about what I'm reading, I'm still reading The Rose Code by Kate Quinn definitely a really good book. I'm very thoroughly enjoying it, but I also have not had that much time to read this week, so my reactions are a little bit delayed, and I can't really give you guys like a full review on the book yet, but I will hope that's coming soon. So far, it's really engaging. There are a lot of historical characters or historically accurate figures that are present throughout the book, and it's really interesting to see how they work in a fictional way, and how they were related to this very obviously real situation, but not necessarily completely dramatized the way it is in the book, if that makes sense. In terms of what I'm watching, I am watching Felicity, which is a show that aired from 1998 to 2002, and it's about this girl played by Carrie Russell who follows her crush to college. It's a very abstract concept, I think, because I don't think I know many people who would actually follow their crush to college, but the show is adorable in and of itself, mostly because of Felicity's character. She's adorably naive, doesn't really know a lot about the world, and she's somehow thrust into New York City, which is one of those places that you have to be so cutthroat, and Felicity's just not that kind of character, or not that kind of person, and eventually and this is all within the pilot episode we realize that she made the decision to go to college where her crush went to college mostly because she's never been able to make a free decision in her life and she wanted a chance to be free to make that decision i think the show is really interesting definitely very good for in terms of 90s shows it's definitely up there with dawson's creek which if you guys don't know is something that i really love i talked about it quite a bit in the one tree hill episode but Dawson's Creek is one of my favorite 90s shows, and I think Felicity just might as well be up there. And I think this is mostly because of the fact that this show is pretty relatable for people my age. I'm 20, 
I went to college only two years ago with all my friends. We know what it's like to go through that phase of wanting to be a part of everything, yet not knowing where you belong, yet wanting to find your tribe, yet not being able to make any friends or fearing you're never going to be able to make any friends. We know where all of this comes from. I especially relate to a lot of what Felicity goes through, but I think that the show's ultimate downfall is its pilot episode. The reason I think that its pilot episode is its downfall is because I think pilot episodes in general are really hard to film. Because here's the thing, the pilot episode sets up a lot of the narrative arcs and character developments of this show moving forward. And a great example of a great pilot in keeping with Carrie Russell being in it is The Americans. We learn a decent amount about the characters in the first episode and we see what their relationship is to each other. But we don't see the relationship start to grow and build until the very end of the first episode and then slowly over the progress of season one. Whereas with Felicity, I felt like she did too much growing within the pilot. And I'm not even sure what the time frame of the pilot is, which makes it essentially a really hard show to get into, I think, initially, just because you don't know what's going on or how much of it's happening in the present, how much of it has been months since it happened, that kind of thing. And I also think that the show could use for a little bit of side character plot time. I mean, I tend to be iffy about B plots and C plots, especially when there are a lot of them. But I think that Felicity's problem also is that the B plots are so underwhelming that the show just feels like it's Felicity's like utopia and it's all about her which of course it is because she is the main character but I think that some of the B plots could have been better handled and maybe because I'm only in the first season or the first like nine episodes the show will actually get better but there is a lot that I think could have been done better with the first few episodes. So moving on from what I am reading and watching or how my life's been going I want to talk a little bit about the structure of this week's episode. So I said earlier that I wanted to spend this week's episode talking about the Marvel television universe. I don't know what to say for that. Is it the Mar- I'm going to just go with Marvel television universe. I'm just going to say MTU. If there, if anyone knows, feel free to correct me because I have genuinely no idea what MTU, like, what the middle word is. Because, you know, for, like, MCU, it's cinematic. And so, like, that makes sense. But is it telematic? Like, is that, I don't think that's the word. So we're just going to go with the MTU. And I'm planning to talk about that this week, mostly because of Loki airing last week. And I have a lot of thoughts about WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. So I think I want to start off with WandaVision. So I'm just going to talk about WandaVision for a little bit, my thoughts and opinions on the show, as well as where I think the characters are headed from there on and what I think is just going to happen to... uh, the Multiverse of Madness movie because Wanda's going to be in that, apparently. And then I want to talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier, where I just have a lot to say about Falcon and Winter Soldier, not necessarily as much as the characters' futures, like I probably will with WandaVision, but I think I definitely want to talk about what made the show great, what made the show lack, and very specifically, I want to talk about one character and what I'm really interested in that they're going to do with them in the MCU and MTU moving forward. And then lastly, I want to talk a little bit about the first two episodes of Loki. Of course, before I do that, I will have a little disclaimer. Basically, so if you haven't seen Loki yet, you can pause the podcast, go watch the episodes, and then come back and listen to what I have to say about them. 
I also want to say quickly before I get into WandaVision, before starting this next segment, just know that there's going to be a lot of MCU spoilers. If you are not all caught up, if you have not seen any of the three TV shows I'm going to be talking about, I would recommend you listen to this episode later once you've seen everything and once you're a little more interested in the analysis behind them. I can definitely help you out with that. But I really don't want to spoil anything for anybody who hasn't necessarily seen as much of the MCU as they should have to understand a lot of this or as much of the MCU as I have, etc, etc. So please just stop listening and go watch the shows and come back. I promise I'll be right here waiting to give you guys the inside scoop on all these shows. That being said, let's get started with WandaVision. So WandaVision was such an interesting show to me, and I know a lot of people found it corny. A lot of my friends said that they thought WandaVision made no sense, there wasn't a lot of merit to it, and I agree and I disagree. Here's what I agree with. I agree with the first episodes being a little slow, and a little corny, and a little just not what I was expecting. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I just think that too much should have happened in the first episodes and too little did actually happen and when I say by that I mean the sitcom plot was cute for the first episode I won't deny that I won't deny that I was super into the sitcom-esque style of the show but I eventually fell off that wagon when there was more than one episode made like this and that's not to say that it didn't work with their pseudo super family of Vision, Billy and Tommy and Pietro eventually or Pietro's fake clone basically coming back and they don't think that the sitcom structure worked for the first couple episodes but I'm really glad that toward the last episode they cut out that sitcom structure because I think what was needed was a simple structure just going into Wanda's battle with Agatha Harkness and basically just us seeing this straightforward no distractions war that Wanda essentially has with a version of herself which I will get into in a little bit I want to finish kind of my train of thought here but most Marvel movies make it very hard for me to suspend my disbelief mostly because they're so realistically embedded in the real world that I almost want to believe everything that can happen and when I don't see things that could viably happen, I call them plot inconsistencies, which isn't necessarily always true, but is true a lot of the time. In terms of what I really liked about WandaVision, I think Paul Bethany and Elizabeth Olsen have really great chemistry. I think I've not seen a lot of MCU actors with their counterparts or their romantic love interests that have had such great chemistry because I think when it comes down to it, both Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bethany seem like they're very silly people. And this isn't to say in any kind of bad way, like, oh, no one can take them seriously or anything like that. I think it's more that they seem like they're at home in their sitcom-y universe of just living as Wanda and Vision. I don't really see Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bethany when I watch WandaVision. I see the characters of Vision and Wanda, which I think makes the acting one of the best parts about the show. The other part of the show is this theme of grief that's kind of interwoven throughout the entire season, and I think that's because as we learn that Wanda is really the creator of Westview and she's controlling all the people there because she wants her idyllic life with Vision, is so heartbreaking because if you think about it Wanda really made herself an anti-hero or made herself a bad guy in order to keep the man that she loves and 
I think that's a really amazing testament to how powerful love really is, especially when you think about the fact that Wanda created all of Westview just so she could be with her husband, and all she wanted was for Vision to relax and enjoy their life together, but Vision, being the hero that he is, is unable to let go of the fact that his wife, the woman that he loves, has literally enslaved people just to pretend at this life that they could have had but they don't get to have. And I think that's really heartbreaking and that emphasizes the grief as well as the power of love. The other thing I was super impressed with WandaVision about was the character of Agatha Harkness. Now, I'm not super familiar with her character, especially in the comics, but I have seen a lot of TikToks and done a good amount of research about who she is and what role she'll likely take on in Wanda's life. So everyone says, especially on TikTok, that Agatha Harkness's role is to be a mentor. She is supposed to help Wanda come into her own and come into her magic, which I think is a very good character to have, especially because Wanda always seems very kind of lost in the MCU. She never seems like she has a place or has this area where she belongs, especially losing her brother and then losing Vision. It's like she's not really a part of the Avengers and she doesn't really feel like she's part of the Avengers. But she also has these powers and these gifts and she doesn't know how she got them. Or well, she knows how she got them, but she doesn't understand what they do for her and how she can use them. And I think that Agatha being present and being a mentor who allows Wanda to, to tap her untapped potential is a wonderful way of ultimately making the show and making the subsequent stories about Wanda very effective and keeping Katherine Hahn in the MCU, which is 100% always a win. I also want to talk a little bit about Wanda as a character. I think with Wanda, we've seen her undergo so much grief, but we never really had an origin story for Wanda until, I want to say, episode eight were there eight episodes seven or eight it was the episode that was called previously on and i think that this episode was absolutely really well done because the idea of having a, an origin story in the middle of another origin story which one division essentially is an origin story which i'll get to that in a second but i think that's a really brilliant way of letting the audience know a little more about the characters this is something I kind of want to say about all three shows in general, and this is a point I've made to everybody and their mothers. My friends are probably tired of, to death of me making this point, but here's the point I need to make with all these MTU shows. The thing with the MCU is a lot of the characters don't get a lot of screen time and don't get a lot of character development. And by these characters, I mean Wanda and Vision, I mean Sam and Bucky, I mean Loki, I mean the characters that we're essentially getting TV shows and movies about. And these are the characters that we didn't already have TV shows and movies about before Infinity War and before Endgame. They were side characters in another Avengers origin story and another Avengers story, like continuations and everything like that. And so these TV shows are extremely important because... Now that if something were to happen to Wanda, I would be heartbroken because I know about Wanda. I know what makes Wanda tick. I can understand Captain Amer the new Captain America better than I can understand the old Captain America because we've seen into Sam Wilson's private life. We've seen into his family life. We've seen into his relationship with, his, with himself, with his sister, with Bucky. I know about these characters now and 
if something happens to them, I'd be devastated. And I think that's the most important aspect of these TV shows. And with Wanda, I felt like they almost like did her dirty because here's the thing with Wanda, she's essentially a character who makes herself an anti-hero. And hear me out when I say this. I say that she does this because she does something that she knows is morally wrong. She enslaves a bunch of people. And having been enslaved herself before, she knows what it feels like. She knows what it feels like to be the kind of person that has no will of their own. And yet she does it anyway. And the thing is, despite being an anti-hero, because we understand Wanda's motivations, we still can't help but root for her. We can't help but understand that Wanda just wants to live with Vision in peace. Vision and her family in peace. Now, I said earlier that WandaVision is an origin story within an origin story. And I mean what I say by that. I'm Here's what I mean. I mean that Wanda's story and Vision's story is the origin story for Billy and Tommy Maximoff. Now, when I say that this is an origin story inside an origin story, is that I mean this is primarily Wanda's origin story. Because to understand why Wanda has done what she's done, we need to understand where she's come from and the fact that she's essentially a mutant. But I will get back to the mutant part just in just a little bit. The part about Billy and Tommy's origin story is that they eventually become part of the Young Avengers. And so I'm interested in seeing how Wanda, who essentially becomes anti-hero due to the fact that she's essentially held an entire town hostage becomes or her kids I should say become part of the young avengers how do they go from being these wanted fugitives because they must be these wanted fugitives especially wanda because everyone knows what she's done and how do they go from being the kids of a wanted fugitive to being part of the young avengers i'm very interested to see that part of the story now, when I said Wanda was a mutant just a little bit ago, I mean that I think that Wanda's being a mutant hints at the introduction of the X-Men into the MCU or MTU. This is extremely a stretch. So if you disagree with me, please feel free to email me and tell me why you disagree with me. But I think that the mutants are going to eventually come into the MCU because there are so many conflicts within the comics and within the Avengers and the X-Men that I think need to be brought to life. I also really would love to see the X-Men brought into the MCU because there's this comic called Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe and I would love to see that brought to life literally just so I could watch Deadpool murder everybody in the MCU and how the ending of that comic is wonderful if you have not read it. I recommend checking out the Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe comic collection. But that's essentially what I think the mutant universe needs to incorporate because there are so many different Earths and different universes, multiverses within the MCU. If you don't include the X-Men, you're eventually going to run out of universes to con to discuss, to portray, and then eventually the show and the movies will get repetitive and boring and no one's going to want to watch them. So I think WandaVision's have done a really great job at three things. The first one would be the theme of grief that is present throughout the entire movie, entire TV show. The other would be the acting between Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bethany. Amazing. The last one would be the setup for the rest of the TV shows as well as hints at the multiverse. And another thing that I just found out recently that I find really interesting is the fact that 
the commercials in WandaVision, the fake commercials, are essentially Doctor Strange trying to get Wanda's attention, which I'm not 100% sure if this is true, but I heard this and I'm thinking that's a really interesting thing because that means Doctor Strange knows that Wanda is a Scarlet Witch. He must know. So that means if he knows Wanda's a Scarlet Witch, he knows what power she has and he knows what that power can do, which is why he's sending messages to placate her or to help her so that way he is in her life and they have some kind of connection, maybe not romantic, but they have a connection that will ultimately keep them or keep Wanda from destroying the world because she simply can. Doctor Strange must step in somehow. And so that's why I wonder in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness whether or not we're going to see Wanda as a hero or an anti-hero. That'll be a really interesting thing to ultimately see once the movie comes out. Moving on from WandaVision, I know I didn't talk too much about the show itself and more just about theory in terms of WandaVision. I think that's more what that show stands for. It doesn't necessarily stand for a lot of plot furthering. It just is there to plant the seeds. Remember early in the episode I was talking about Felicity and pilot episodes? WandaVision is like the pilot episode of the MTU. It's there to plant the seeds for characters that we need to see and things that are going to happen in the MCU and MTU following. But it's not necessarily going to be a straight, direct continuation of one vision. So that's where the Falcon and the Winter Soldier comes in. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I was very excited for. WandaVision, I enjoyed the episodes. I wasn't too disappointed with how everything turned out. Especially got really excited when Quicksilver came in and I thought, oh my god, multiverse, it's a thing. And I think it still has some kind of significance despite Marvel being like, no, we just casted Evan Peters. I think it definitely has some kind of significance, but they're waiting until they basically figure out what the significance is and what ultimately the writers and producers want to do with the show. So I think that'll ultimately be their decision. And I think that this Evan Peters being Quicksilver and WandaVision does mean something. And sorry to throw that one in there right before I talk about Winter Soldier, but I just had not talked about it, I realized, and I wanted to bring that in because I think he does have something to do with the mutants coming into the MCU. And I think he also is an indicator that the multiverse exists, but I wanna see what Marvel does with it. So I'm not making any guesses or justifications aside from the ones I've already made. So Falcon and Winter Soldier. I was excited for WandaVision, yes, but Falcon and Winter Soldier was far more compelling of an idea for me because of the fact that I know literally zip about Falcon and Winter Soldier. Sure, we know about Winter Soldier's relationship to Steve, we know about Falcon's relationship to Steve, but we only know about them in relationship to Steve Rogers. And that's not great for character development. In fact, it makes the characters feel so one-dimensional that no one's attached to them. When Bucky collapses in Infinity War and gets dusted, I don't care. I am not invested. The only one I was invested in was Tom Holland as Spider-Man. That's on the shoulders of Tom Holland being a good actor, but that's also on the fact that we have another movie all about Spider-Man. We know what he stands for. We know who he is. We have connected with this character, but we had not with Sam and Bucky. And so now we're finally getting that chance to. I was so excited to see Bucky's grieving process because he also is grieving, right? He lost his best friend of over 70 years. He doesn't know anybody in the real world except for the Avengers. And the Avengers all think he's a criminal, basically. 
or Tony's side of the Avengers think he's a criminal and the world thinks he's a criminal because he's killed so many people and yet here Bucky is trying to make amends for all the people that he's killed and that right there is Bucky's entire storyline and it's short and it's sweet and we only see Bucky really doing things when they're in relationship to Sam. Now Sam is who this show is really about and to be honest I'm not mad about it. The show needed to be about Sam because here's the thing. Because we knew nothing about Sam in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we knew nothing about Sam coming into the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. All we knew is that Steve Rogers saw something in Sam Wilson to make him give Sam the shield. What did he see? And so then when we go into the show, we see Sam thinking he's not good enough. And so he gives the shield to the government. He says, I know Steve gave this to me, but he doesn't feel worthy enough of having that shield because he thinks that he is only capable of being the Falcon. He doesn't think he's capable, especially being a black man, of leading people the way Steve Rogers did as a blonde hair, blue eyed white boy. And so that of course is a big issue. Race is such a big theme throughout this show. And then we see the government essentially give the Captain America shield to someone who fits their mold of what Captain America should look like. Another blonde hair, blue eyed white boy, played by Wyatt Russell, who, I'm being so honest, deserves a lot of credit for the way he played John Walker. Because John Walker was straight up despicable. I don't even know how to describe how much I hated John Walker. I would see his smarmy little smirk on TV and I would just get the goosebumps because I hated this man so much. Kudos to you, Wyatt Russell. If you're listening to this, you have done a phenomenal job. But we see Sam lose the shield to someone who is more fit with society's standards of what a leader should look like. And therefore, Sam ultimately thinks, I don't deserve it. Why did Steve give it to me? And then we see Sam finally coming into his confidence throughout the entire show because he's fighting for Steve's legacy. And then he eventually comes to realize he is Steve's legacy because he's the only one who understood what the shield meant. Bucky cannot get over his past enough to be a leader. He will always be a sidekick. That's not even a bad thing because Bucky just wants to be that. Bucky wants to be someone's partner, but Bucky does not want to stand by himself because he doesn't feel like he can stand by himself. And that's why Sam and Bucky make such a great duo because they ultimately cannot stand without the other. Sam knows how to lead, but he does not have people to lead without Bucky and without all the other Avengers. And so I think I'm really interested in seeing who Sam will ultimately end up leading. Will he lead the ragtag group of Avengers that's left after Tony and Steve's passing? Or will he lead the young Avengers even though he's not himself young? I'm very curious about that. But moving on with the show itself, I thought that it was a really great production quality if it not a little slow and when I say by slow is I mean the first couple episodes were like okay I mean I got into the swing of things the third episode just went right over my head it just felt like way too action-packed way too much fighting and the fight scenes in Marvel are probably one of my least favorite things I've had the discussion with so many people about the fact that all they do is cut and cut and cut and cut and we just see different angles of the same actor's face, but we never actually see any of the fighting happening. So not something I really like. But I also think that episode three was where the show was at its lowest and then it started to peak. Carly Morgenthau, as a villain, to me more than Thanos, encapsulates the perfect Marvel villain. Here's the reason. 
Carly's not necessarily a bad person. She stands for good things, but she goes about it the wrong way. Sounds like someone else we know? Thanos. Thanos was not necessarily a bad guy. He wanted good things. He wanted there to be equal resources for everybody. That's not a bad thing. But the way he went about it by killing half the population instead of doubling half doubling all the resources, tripling, quadrupling, you had the infinity gauntlet, you could have done anything, and yet you choose to wipe the earth of half of its population. How is that even fair? And so Carly Morgan thought was something similar. She wants to have her own space in the country that she lived in after the blip happened and passed and everyone came back. And she was saying, one of the things she was saying that really stuck out to me was the fact that it was so easy to get into other countries because so many people had been taken from those countries, etc, etc. So no one could, no one had to ask to get into another country. They essentially could just go there. And she was saying she made a home somewhere else. And so now she's essentially forced to leave that home just because everyone else who was originally there should be there but what if she didn't have a good life where she was living and she finally made a good life for herself her justifications are valid yet going around and killing and attacking the councils and all that stuff does not get you heard and does not no one hears you when you do it like that and that's what sam essentially tries to make or the point that sam tries to make and i think what's really sad about this is her death ultimately symbolizes the fact that there's no such thing as a morally gray person anymore. The characters either have to be Tony Stark or Thanos. There is no in-between. And the in-between is immediately killed off, which makes the MCU seem really black and white, very childlike. Whereas I think the nuances of some of the villains are what made the MCU appealing to adults. It's not that I hate the fact that Carly died. I kind of saw her death coming anyway. It's more that I hate the idea that she was killed by someone who is another morally great character and who does things for her own gain, which is Emily Van Camp's character, Sharon Carter. Now, Sharon Carter started off as a morally white character. And then the morally black parts of her become wrong and they take over making her a morally great character and this is ultimately why she ends up killing Carly Morgenthau is because the other morally great character who was powerful enough to stand against her as the power broker was Carly Morgenthau and she didn't want that to happen because her sense of self-preservation kicked in and therefore she is no longer staying a morally great character but rather becoming a morally black character which isn't necessarily the best thing and not what the writers of the show should have intended because the thing is Sam as a new Captain America needs all the help he can get and if Sharon Carter is truly becoming a morally black character she'll eventually become a villain that Sam might have to fight and I don't know that Sam will be able to do it so this might be like the greatest test of his commitment to understanding and continuing Steve Rogers' legacy and I think that the situation with Sam and Sharon can go one of two ways. The first way is that it could become a Steve and Bucky situation where they ultimately save each other and everything works out great. Or it could be a situation where they have to go head to head and one of them dies and I don't think it's going to be Sam. I think it's going to end up being Sharon. And I don't know how I feel about this because I was interested in what they were going to do with her character, but I now think it's time for her to leave the MCU and hopefully pass the power broker 
position onto someone who's a little more of a formidable threat. Because right now, I'm not seeing Sharon Carter as the most formidable threat to go up against Captain America, despite all the resources she might have. So moving on to John Walker, he is a character that did not get a lot of love, and rightfully so, the man did not deserve a shred of love. And this is mostly because he is the depiction of racism in this country. The thing about racism in this country is that it always starts with the white people getting advantages in life by standing on POC and especially black people's backs. And that is exactly what John Walker does. He ultimately has his black wife and his black best friend who he uses to further his own agenda and make himself seem like this perfect all-american guy who's not racist whatsoever but newsflash he is racist because he sees them all as less than him even though he won't admit it and he thinks that he's the rightful captain america which is shown by him announcing that he's captain america in every single room that he enters and we see that he never even acknowledges the fact that he has only become Captain America because of the people who have put him there. And the fact that the HBCU band, which are HBCU colleges are traditionally black colleges, and the fact that that band was playing there is just absolutely like another symbolism of the fact that he has gotten where he's gotten on the backs of his fellow black soldiers and black Americans, black citizens, etc., etc. So I think that the character itself is meant to be a physical representation of the racism that Sam overcomes to become Captain America. I think this is more of a physical representation for kids, not necessarily for adults, because we see the nuances of the racism that Sam has to face while he's becoming Captain America, whereas I think kids don't necessarily understand it as much. And so when you have a physical representation such as John Walker, who makes kids understand this is the bad guy standing in the way of Sam being Captain America, as they get older, they understand the nuances of the fact that John Walker is just a traditionally racist guy, and he ultimately is the reason Sam doesn't get to be Captain America. And again, he's standing in the way of someone who truly deserves it, thinking that he deserves it mostly because of the color of his skin. The other thing that really irritates me about John Walker is that he gets a redemption arc, because that's again, a very indicative of the time that we live in. Whereas white people being racist will be given a second chance, whereas a black person who is the victim of racism might not even be given a second chance at life. And so the fact that he's given a redemption arc and made US agent I think is just going to be another villain that Sam's going to have to battle. Maybe him and the power broker combined or something like that. I mean, you never know. And I think the fact is the show left out for some very interesting further plot lines for Captain America and set him up with some of his own villains that are not just copycats of Steve Rogers villains. And I'm really excited to see what Sam can do as Captain America. In terms of Bucky, I hope Bucky just has a good life because I think that's what he deserves at this point. I loved the fact that we got to see the Dora Milaje ultimately taking care of him and nursing him back to health, helping him overcome his training. That is such a wonderful, wonderful concept that the show has brought forward. And I was very impressed by it because it shows that everyone needs a little help sometimes, even when you don't think you do. And the Dora Milaje and all of Wakanda really, really helped Bucky become the man that understood that he needed to apologize and atone for his actions. So that's Falcon and Winter Soldier. Now, Loki is probably my personal favorite. I Don't get me wrong, I loved both WandaVision and Captain and Winter Soldier, but I... 
I said Captain and Winter Soldier. I didn't even say Falcon. I didn't even say Captain America. I just said Captain. It's been a long day, guys. But anyway, Loki is definitely my favorite show. I think that it, this is because of Tom Hiddleston. I have the biggest crush on Tom Hiddleston. And if he's hearing this, I would love to go to dinner with him anytime. But anyway, just about the show in general. I think my first impression of the show was that you couldn't just skate away with knowing basic things about the comics. I almost had the feeling that this show was made for the more intense comic fan. The fan that knows all the easter eggs and knows everything about the TVA and the multiverse. I almost didn't feel like this was something that was just catered towards the MCU fans, which I thought was a really, really amazing thing to finally incorporate because, of course, while in the MCU movies and in WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, there are so many easter eggs and it's really interesting and the comic book fans love it, I almost felt like Loki was the ultimate comic book payoff. We get to see a lot of what I think anyway are variant versions of Loki and I think that's really cool. I think that was probably my favorite part of episode two was getting to see the different variants of Loki and how a different timeline may impact how Loki is actually perceived. I think that whole concept in terms of timelines and the multiverse in Marvel is really interesting to me because if you think about it in like real life the multiverse could probably exist and that means there's a different version of all of us for every multiverse that exists and I think that concept is really interesting and mind-bending so I was super into Loki mostly because I knew it was of course going to touch on the multiverse and I was really excited for that I really also love Owen Wilson I've been a fan of Owen Wilson but I would say fan and I would use that term loosely mostly because Owen Wilson's got this voice that kind of takes away or distracts me from his acting. It's almost like I can see his acting but I can only see, I can only hear his voice. I can't hear his character. So that used to always kind of get on my nerves. I think Midnight in Paris though was one of my favorites because you didn't really have to overlook his voice in order to enjoy the movie. But with Loki, I was really worried about Owen Wilson playing Mobius because I was afraid that ultimately we would only hear Owen Wilson. We wouldn't see Mobius. And I was proven wrong. Owen Wilson, absolutely wonderful job because I don't even know how I went into that show knowing Owen Wilson was Mobius, yet was somehow still so surprised that Mobius was Owen Wilson. I, I don't know how I was so surprised by it, and I think that's a tremendous, tremendous compliment to his acting because, of course, Owen Wilson's a phenomenal actor, but ultimately seeing him act the way he did in Loki or the way he does in Loki is another step completely. And I think that's like another testament to the MCU, something that's really great about it, is when they cast actors and actresses, they expect the actors and actresses to be good. And when you perform something in the MCU, you have to give your all. You can't just half-ass a performance. And so I think the MCU really brings out the best in all of its actors because some of the stuff that they're filming is really hard despite being comedic yet also serious. So I think that Owen Wilson has struck that balance of comedic yet serious perfectly. And the way the, him and Tom Hiddleston have built this relationship between Mobius and Loki is one of my favorite things about the show. I really want to spend most of my time, I think, with Loki talking about episode two, because I think episode two, of course, episode one was good, and I very much enjoyed it, was super excited. I was, like, very into the fact that 
the variant was a version of Loki. But my favorite scene, I guess, starting with episode one, is the scene where Loki ultimately sees what his fate is in the normal or the sacred timeline. And that scene, I give Tom Hiddleston so much credit for because the thing is, Tom Hiddleston already knows what Loki's fate is. So he's going in acting like he doesn't know and still somehow making it seem so heartbreaking that the audience actually felt bad for this Loki who had yet to be redeemed. Loki has, in this show so far, has yet to prove himself to the audience the way he did in Ragnarok and Infinity War, sacrificing himself for his own brother and his people. And that was the Loki we all came to love. That was the Loki we were really excited to see in Endgame. But ultimately, I think that having this scene and taking the time to show Loki that his nuisances and his mischievous tricks have caused harm to the people he cares most about in the world, and then to take away his power, his obsession with the Tesseract, by saying, yeah, here it is ultimately powerless, it doesn't mean anything, basically takes away Loki's purpose in the sacred timeline and essentially gives him this existential crisis that makes him think, oh my god, what am I actually doing any of this for? I love that whole concept about the first episode, and I love the way Tom Hiddleston acts when he sees Loki's death, that surprise yet pain and horror on his face is so believable that I almost felt like Tom Hiddleston was watching his own death, which in a way, of course, he was, but he was watching his own real death. It was like, have you guys seen those things on Instagram that have been like, if you could read the story of your life, would you? And in the story of your life, of course, you're going to know how you die. And so this is essentially Tom Hiddleston or Loki watching the story of how he dies. And I think that's an interesting episode and it's very interesting to me that they put it in the first episode because I always wondered if they were going to keep the truth of what happens to Loki a secret because they don't want Loki to freak out and go back to his evil plan to conquer the world so that he can stay alive even though he actually is capable of a lot of good and I think that the TVA more or less tricked him so he knows that he died I guess and then he is more likely to help them because he's hoping this variant of him can stay alive. I don't know, that's kind of like some of what I'm thinking about that as to why they made the choice to show him in the first episode or show Loki figuring out what happens to him in the sacred timeline within the first episode because I think if it had been my personal choice I would have definitely like wrote that out a little longer like maybe had it be a secret. Loki doesn't know what happens to him in the sacred timeline and he's constantly asking only to eventually find out that the TVA lied to him or the TVA is not telling him the truth about how he actually died and I think that would be a really interesting way to see what Loki would do and if he actually is capable of redemption because he would understand the TVA is trying to protect them or he would understand that the TVA has their own motives. But that's just like a little thought about what I would have done personally. I still am really, really impressed with what the writers and producers did for the show. I think that in terms of episode two, I was really impressed with how quickly the episode went and how perfectly they caught the nuances between Mobius and Loki and their budding friendship. And I think that that's most important because Loki always feels really lonely. He always seems to only have Thor. And I feel like giving him a counterpart, one who's 
not handling or not putting up with his crap and is only spending the time to make Loki do what he wants, yet somehow has some soft spot for Loki because he sees some of himself in Loki. And I think that Mobius and Loki's friendship is actually going to help save Loki's life because I think he's going to want to do what he can to not disappoint Mobius because that is Loki's character despite the fact that he is the god of mischief. And I think ultimately he's going to become a good guy. We're going to see him go from villain to hero instead of villain to anti-hero. That's what I think. I really hope that. I wouldn't even mind seeing him go from villain to anti-hero because anti-heroes still save the day in their own way, shape, and form. But I had this discussion with someone else the other day. It was saying, like, if you can't constitute Loki as a hero in the MCU, then what's even the point of his redemption arc within the MCU? Because he's given that redemption arc so he can die a hero, not an anti-hero. He gets a redemption arc, kind of like John Walker gets his redemption arc in Falcon and Winter Soldier. So I, I just wonder a little bit about that is more or less why is Loki considered an anti-hero? I know he's done bad things, but a redemption arc could eventually make him into a hero, not necessarily an anti-hero. And I always wonder that with Deadpool too, because technically Deadpool does save the day. He does defeat the bad guys, and he's still considered an anti-hero because of how he goes about his practices, which is like killing people and stuff. Anyway, tangent over, but of course I have to talk about, especially with the second episode, the reveal of who the variant Loki is. So is this Lady Loki or is this the Enchantress? I've seen many, many different opinions on TikTok, and so I wanted to kind of clarify what I think about the situation. So of course I want to think that it's Lady Loki, especially because right from the start, Mobius says that the variant is a variant of Loki. So of course it would make sense that we're seeing Lady Loki. But then I'm also confused because in the comics, Lady Loki has black hair and the actress playing Lady Loki in Loki has blonde hair, which of course connects to the Enchantress, which is why everyone thinks the Enchantress is actually the woman who was revealed as the variant of Loki. And I think that I believe that it's probably a mix of both the variant Loki, Lady Loki, and the Enchantress, maybe because they wanted to introduce both characters but weren't sure how to give them both equal time and space to develop as villains, and so they decided to combine them into one. If that is the case, I am not sure how I feel about that. I think I would prefer it to either be Lady Loki or the Enchantress. And then if it is Lady Loki, of course, I'd love to see how the villainy between Loki and his eviler self plays out and what happens to make Lady Loki hate the name Loki so much. And then if it's the Enchantress, I want to see Loki team up with the real Lady Loki and I want to see them take down the Enchantress. And then I want to see, ultimately, I would hope to see them fall in love or Loki... Not to fall in love with Lady Loki as a person, but to fall in love with the idea of actually loving himself and having a lot of self-love instead of the self-loathing that's so clearly there because he sees himself as lesser than his brother and has always seen himself as lesser than his brother. And I would love to see the version of Loki that comes to understand his own worth and value, which of course I think this is where the show is heading anyway. I'm just not sure what direction they're going to take to get the show to Loki's ultimate identity discovery. So I think that I'm most excited for that concept and for the fact that we get to see Loki as a character 
and just his him discovering his own identity, which will be really interesting because, I like I said, we've only seen him in relation to Thor and the Avengers, but we've never seen Loki stand on his own. And I think the show is going to be a really great way to have the audience get to see Loki and become more connected with Loki. Because, of course, everyone loves Loki, but I almost feel like everyone loves Loki because they love Tom Hiddleston, not necessarily because they love Loki. So... I think getting to love the character versus getting to love the actor makes the show much more compelling because we no longer just see Tom Hiddleston playing Loki. We see Loki as a character who just happens to be played by Tom Hiddleston. And again, there's no distinction between the actor and the character, which is a sign of a really well done acting. So yeah, okay, that's my ultimate take on the three MTU shows that are out so far. So moving forward, I most likely will be talking about the subsequent episodes of Loki moving forward at the beginning of each episode. And of course, I will remember to give a little disclaimer so that everyone knows when to skip to. And I will put in the show notes when you should skip to or like the parts you should skip to if you don't want to hear the Loki spoilers. But of course, I do make it pretty clear when I am talking about Loki so that way everyone can go about it but of course next week's episode is hopefully going to be another marvel episode just more focused on the cinematic universe and the directions that the cinematic universe is going to take so i'm really excited and i can't wait for you guys to meet my special guest star because they know so much about the mcu and it's actually so much fun to talk to them about mcu stuff and even comic book stuff in general and i even might make an episode on dc in the near future once i actually get through all of the movies because i have not actually seen aquaman or finished Zack Snyder's Justice League so I'm a little behind on DC stuff but I am very much up to date with Marvel stuff so I'm hoping to do a DC episode hopefully within the next month or so once I finish all the movies but yeah so that is everything for this week I hope that you all have a wonderful rest of your week and just know that I'm always wishing the best for you and I will see you guys next week bye